People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is brought to you by BunnySlippers.com and FoundItemClothing.com. Keep your feet warm this winter in the Northern Hemisphere. With BunnySlippers.com, they've got a really cool set of Cthulhu slippers. Not to mention, I don't know, some zombie slippers and all kinds of cool animal slippers. Why not? Why not keep your torso looking cool while you're keeping your feet warm this fall and winter? With FoundItemClothing.com, get your favorite t-shirts from your favorite cult films, screen-accurate representations of the cool shirts that you love from your favorite cult films from the 80s and 90s. Like that shirt from Teen Wolf Styleswear that says, What are you looking at, Dick Nose? You can get that shirt. Like Booger's various shirts from Revenge of the Nerds, like Give Me Head Till I'm Dead, or Greasy Tonys, or High on Stress. Guess what? Guess who has those? FoundItemClothing.com. Guess who wears those shirts all the time? Daniel Spitzer. Yes, the producer of this show. Not that DB Spitzer guy. That guy just wears wool suits and he's like snooty fruity. Not me, baby. All right. Also, check out that Amazon link. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Check out darkmyths.org and find out more. And find your new favorite podcast. If you think this podcast is good, check out what else is out there. You might find something you really love. Or you just think is cool. Alright, on with the show. This week we shall be talking about Golgoroth, von Jutz's Black Book. And a little something called Eat Your Keyboard by Zach A. Ferguson, a British chap, unlike the fancy, fancy American that I and my sister am. We are not British and don't think that we are British. No, no, this is, this is a Pacific Northwest accent. If you did not know that, then you're probably not really from the Pacific Northwest. Join us tonight on People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, where we talk about this and much, much more. Actually, not that much more. Brandmark Morn? No, that was before. Series 6, Episode 8. This is Lobelia W. Spitzer on the mic for the first time. Welcome to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I am your host, <laughs> D.B. Hello, big brother. So, today we are talking about some books. Some real, some imagined. <laughs> so, you heard the last episode. How was it? <laughs> you know, big brother, I respect you so deeply. And yet, still, you mispronounce things. Still, you are not perfect. That is okay. The old ones will come, and they will, you know, change that. What? What did I do wrong? You said synapses instead of synopsis. Synapses are the things in your brain. Synopsis is a short retelling of a story. The important parts. I believe you're doing the latter, not the former. And you also said violent instead of violence. It's the wrong conjugation of the verb letter. <laughs> Let's actually go into the show. Okay. All right. Nameless cults, Gograth and Unsprachenkulten, 
also known as Nameless Cults or The Black Book, is a fictional book of arcane literature in the Cthulhu mythos. The book first appeared in Robert E. Howard's short stories, The Children of the Night and The Black Stone as Nameless Cults. Like the Necronomicon, it was later mentioned in several stories by H.P. Lovecraft. Ever hear of the guy? According to Robert M. Price, the name is due to an effort of Lovecraft's to come up with a German translation of Nameless Cult. The title, Unersprachen Kulten, is due to the efforts of Ogidog Derle. Hmm. Children, Children of the Night is a 1931 short story by Robert E. Howard. Belonging to the Cthulhu mythos, it was first published in the pulp magazine Weird Tales in the April-May 1931 issue. Howard earned a whopping six dollars. The story starts with six people in John Conrad's studio. Conrad himself, Clements, Professor Kaiwan, Tavarell, Ketrick, and the narrator, John O'Donnell. O'Donnell describes them all as Anglo-Saxon with the exception of Ketrick. Ketrick, although he possesses a documented pure Anglo lineage appears to have slightly Mongolian-looking eyes and an odd lisp that O'Donnell finds distasteful. Initially, the group discusses anthropology and begins to talk about Conrad's collection of books, which includes a copy of von Jungs's Nameless Cults. This brings Clements to discuss the cult of Bran, mentioned in Nameless Cults and by his former university roommate in his sleep. The cult worships the Dark Man, an ancient king of the Picts called Bran Mac Morn. The others are skeptical, but Conrad brings up a flint mallet found recently in the Welsh hills, which is obviously of no ordinary Neolithic make. It is too small but still heavy, and the odd shape and balance. While others handle the mallet, Ketrick accidentally strikes O'Donnell on the head and knocks him unconscious. O'Donnell finds himself in earlier incarnation when his name was Arya, and he was a member of the Sword People, one of the Aryan tribes involved in conquering Britain from the Picts still around the children of the night, snake-like people from whom the Picts conquered the land earlier and whom the Aryans consider vermin. O'Donnell Aria wakes up at a crucial moment in a forest wearing deer skins and seeing five mutilated bodies laying on the ground and realizing to his horror that these are his companions in his hunting party whose sleep was supposedly, hmm, whose sleep he was supposed to safeguard, but he fell asleep himself, enabling the children of the night to sneak up and kill his friends in their sleep. Such a stain on his honor could never be removed. Arya never returned to his people and admitted his failure. The only thing left for him was to take revenge on the children of the night as much as he could. This he proceeds to do first, making a berserk attack on the children who had killed his friends, then follows a trail back to their village 
where he again attacks and kills many more while being overwhelmed and killed. O'Donnell wakes up again in Conrad's study, but still remembering his life as Arya. On seeing Ketrick, he becomes enraged, believing him to be descended from the children of the night. The others restrain him and think he has gone mad with exclamations such as, You fools! He is marked with the brand of the beast, the reptile, the vermin we exterminated centuries ago. We must crush him, stamp him out, rid the clean earth of his accursed pollution. Kedrick leaves, but O'Donnell swears to hunt him down and kill him for a while, even if he will be hanged for it. Another book that mentions nameless cults is The Black Stone. This is a classic short story by Robert E. Howard. And, and, and just a refresher, if some people don't know this, Robert E. Howard also wrote the Conan books. No, Conan stories. The original Conan stories are uh, by Robert E. Howard. This story was first published in November of 1931 in an issue of Weird Tales. It introduces the mad poet Justin Joffrey, not to be confused with the uh, erotic writer Justine Joffrey. And uh, the fictitious Onosprechen uh, de Curtin by uh, Frederick von Juntz. Among Howard's stories that can be considered part of the Cthulhu mythos, this is a doozy for sure. It is written as a mythos story rather than simply a tale uh, comparable with the Lovecraft universe. This is not a very Lovecraftian tale in the fact that it's a uh, um, I don't know, Anglophiles skulking around and reading books and going mad, or, ooh, I've got this thing and I'll show you, I'll prove everyone stupid. No. No, no, there is no, I write this as my life, I write this in, as in my dying last breath, the thing comes, it comes through the window, oh my, it's got me, no, no, this is not that, this is about an adventurer, this is about, uh, this is about violence. This is about swords. This is about monstrous toad-like creatures and sacrifices. Far darker and more violent than anything Lovecraft ever created. This is just Robert E. Howard. And the thought recurs to me. If such a monstrous entity as the master of the monolith somehow survived our unspeakably distant epoch so long, what nameless shapes may even now lurk in the dark places of the world, world, world. The Black Stone, Robert E. Howard. The story opens with an unnamed narrator being gripped with curiosity by a brief reference to the Black Stone in the book Nameless Cults, AKA The Black Book by Frederick von Jutz. He researches the artifacts but finds little further information. The ancient, though aged, is uh, debated. A monolith stands near a village in Stego Kaval, meaning something like the witch town and the mountains of Hungary. 
There are many suggestions, or there are many superstitions surrounding it. For instance, anyone who sleeps nearby will suffer nightmares for the rest of their life, and anyone who visits the stone on Midsummer Night will go insane and die. Though the monolith is hated and disliked by the village, it is said by the innkeeper that any man who lay hammer or maul will die evilly so that all villagers simply shun the stone. The narrator decides to travel there on vacation. Along the way, he hears of the local history and sees the site of an old battlefield where Count Boris Vladinov fought the invading Turks in 1526. Local stories of that Vladinov took shelter in the ruined castle and was brought a lacquered case that had been found near the body of Salim Badar, the famous Turkish scribe and historian who had died in a recent battle. The unnamed contents scared the Count, but at the moment, Turkish artillery collapsed the castle and killed the occupants. Wait, then how did they know? Reaching the village, the narrator interviews some of the villagers. The current inhabitants are not the original people of the village. They are—they were all wiped out by the Turkish invasion of 1526. They are said to have been of a different unknown race than the Hungarians, race than the Hungarians, with a reputation for raiding the villages and kidnapping women and children. A schoolteacher reveals that. According to legend, the original name of the village was Zuthan, and that the stone was worshipped by pagans at one time, though they probably did not erect it themselves. The black stone is octagonal in shape and about 16 feet in height and about a foot and a half thick. A week after arriving, the narrator realizes that it is Midsummer's night and makes his way to the stone. He falls asleep an hour before midnight, but wakes up to find chanting and dancing people around the stone. After much dancing, during which the narrator is unable to move or do anything but observe, a baby is killed and sacrificed. Shortly, a giant toad-like monster appears at the top of the stone, and a second sacrifice, a young girl, is offered to it. The narrator faints at this point and decides that it was a dream. When he wakes up again, there is no evidence of any of the night's events. Thinking back to the earlier tale, he decides to secretly excavate the ruined castle at night and recover the box that was buried along with Count Boris Vladinov. He translates the text of a small scroll found inside the crushed box, which turns out to be a record of Salim Bahadar's raid into the valley. The Turks found the toad monster worshippers and eradicated them all. They also found a nearby cave. A monstrous bloated wallowing toad-like being and slew it with flame and ancient steel blessed in old times by Mohammed and with incantations that were old when Arabia was young. The narrator realizes that his dream was actually a vision 
of the real event in history that the black stone is really the spire of a massive fortress and that the cliffs around it are its battlements. The rest of the castle lies buried underneath the Hungarian mountains. He throws the scroll in the small gold idol of the toad, also from the box, into the Danube. The narrator ends with the belief that the words of the nameless cults are real and not the ravings of a madman, as he had first thought. With this comes the thought, man is not always the master of the earth, as he is now. Unersprachen Kulte would be the German for unspeakable cults. The form Unersprachen Kulten is the dative case, suggesting a full title of von Unersprachen Kulten, of unspeakable cults, as it were the cultus in affabilibus, or similar. Folks have commented that since the German adjective may not translate to unspeakable, unutterable, ineffable, but also to unpronounceable, tongue-twisting, the title is a good description of the names intended by invented by Lovecraft. Unersprachen Kulten is believed to have been written by Frederick Wilhelm von Kunst, the first edition of the German text referred to by some as the Black Book, appeared in 1939 in Dusseldorf. The English edition was issued by Birdwell in London in 1845, but being meant to sell purely based on shock value, contained numerous misprints and was badly translated. A heavily expurgated edition was later issued in New York by Golden Goblin Press in 1909, but sold few copies as its high production costs made it prohibitively expensive. Original editions in German have a heavy leather cover and iron hasps. Few copies of the earliest editions still exist because most were burnt by their owners when word of von Kunst's gruesome demise became not common knowledge. An edition is known to be kept in a locked vault at the Miskatonic University Library, and some book collectors, occult scholars, have managed to find copies. The text contains information on cults that worship pre-human deities, such as Gartona. Thank you. Such as Gathanathoa, and includes hieroglyphs relating to the latter. There is also information on more recent cults, including that of Brack MacMorn, the Dark Man. It is from this work that the tale of the doomed heretic Tiog is most commonly sourced. The principal obscurity of the book is von Kunst's use of the word keys a phrase used many times by him in various relations, in connection with certain items and locations, such as the Black Stone and the Temple of the Toad, possibly associated with Sathagwa, brother. Hail Sathagwa! <laughs> in Honduras. Living from 1795 to 1840, an eccentric German poet and philosopher noted for his extensive travels and membership in myriad secret societies, he is mainly remembered as the author of the Unersprachen Kulten, the Nameless Cults, or the Black Book, which was published shortly before his death. Six months after his return from an expedition to Mongolia, he was found dead in a locked and bolted chamber with taloned 
finger marks on his throat. Robert M. Price compares the death of von Hunst to the demise of Abdul al-Hazred, author of the Necronomicon. In Lovecraft's tongue-in-cheek history of the Necronomicon, he recounts the doom of Abdul al-Hazred. He is said, Ibn Khalikan, to have been seized by an invisible monster in broad daylight and devoured horribly before a large number of fright-frozen witnesses. And what of the monstrous hand that strangled out his life? In both cases, the coroner reports the cause of death as a phantom monster, suspiciously like the one that rent Lovecraft himself limb from limb in Robert Bloch's The Shambler from the Stars, covered in a previous episode. At the time of his death, von Hunst was working on a second book, the contents of which are unknown since it was burnt to ashes by his friend, the Frenchman, Alexis Ledoux. Afterwards, Ledoux slit his own throat with a razor after having read the work. Von Kunst was one of the few people to have read the Greek version of the Necronomicon. Well, since I mostly learned that most people burnt their copies, and the man himself who wrote it was strangled to death by some phantom, I don't know much of the book itself except for that it probably harbors some pretty good keywords that open some pretty good cosmic locks. I look forward to reading about Gathanathoa. Oh, yes. And translating some hieroglyphs. Ooh, hieroglyphs. Yes, please. I mean, I am a scholar of ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs in my spare time. Remember, listeners, check out our Amazon link. One listener did, and they purchased Diva Techs twin flannel sheets in midnight blue. So check on the Amazon link. We get a small percentage for sending you to Amazon, and you get what you would normally buy on Amazon. We don't know who did it, so like the person who sent the cock. Uh, Sent like the person who bought the cockroaches. I wish they'd send some cockroaches. No, don't send cockroaches unless the new at large. But no, someone purchased sheets, and those sheets, well, those sheets cost sixteen dollars, and I got a dollar twenty out of that to spend on the show. So. Go to PGTTCM, click the Amazon link, or go to pgttcm.podbean.com and click on the Amazon link there. The Amazon link is still Bobby D's Sex in the Cthulhu Mythos. So, check that book out. Check out anything you want on Amazon. It'll be cool. Thank you. Back to the show. Keyboard! Oi! Keyboards, you hear me? Do you hear the f- pressure from my scarred fingertips thick with fresh growth of new protective skin? Keyboard! I need you to be exploited and built upon in your functions and processes. You need the attention as much as me, like an abused animal, beaten, pressed, hardened, yet still prone to needing that one thing that you are accustomed to or risk another night without that, of which you and your basis have evolved around. 
Keyboard. Keyboards of the world. Do you like our pleasurable abuse? Do you enjoy being battered and cursed and the heavier finger compressions? And the overall construct to what you help create? Keyboard. Rise. Rise your keys. Spell out your words. Keyboards and fingers. Enthusiasm in our excuse. Complacent abuse is yours. Without it, your soul bearing on this world and your machinations are left redundant. Finger oils pumping my pistons of exhilaration. I need your truth, though. Today of all days, bleak, cosmic, guttural blood-laced spittle screams, Take me, God! No, no, weaker. No. 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 No lies. There is no God. There definitely are no gods. Eat your keyboard is 190 pages and published by Nihilism Re Revisited, written by Zach A. Ferguson. Uh, yeah, so eat your keyboard. Uh, eat your keyboard is by Zach A. Ferguson. I ran across his writings at one point in time across the internet and I went, oi, Zach A. Ferguson. Can I review your book? And he said, oi. He didn't say oi. He then filled my Instagram feed with pictures of himself talking about his book. I'm like, I need to I need to review that book. I need to review that book. So yeah, definitely check out, I think, sweat-drenched author, sweat-drenched writer on Instagram. Funny guy. Funny, funny guy. Also, I enjoy his rantings. Um eat your keyboard it is like if the futurists of italy not not with the war and the violence part well, not with the war part but the energy of the italian futurists and the strangeness of the german dada movement together it's it's and and it's it's like uh William S. Burroughs. It's like I could feel Zach cutting up his his writings and reassembling them in a way that makes even less sense. That that and that collectively makes more sense. I don't know. I don't know. It's really hard to say. I don't know how or what his process is, but it's it's good. It's nice. I like it. I wouldn't be talking about it if I didn't. So definitely check out Eat Your Keyboard. It's available on Amazon, and I got a digital copy. I love it. And I'm going to be talking about another book from Nihilism Revisited next week, ID Cancer by S.C. Burke. That one's a really good one, too. I highly recommend that one, but I'll talk about that one next time. I shouldn't say next week, because, hell, my last, uh, my last book review was probably about a month ago. But yeah. Eat Your Keyboard. Zach A. Ferguson. Peace in the Middle East. War in the Central Court. Alright, I believe that is it for People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Join us next time when we will be talking about Glacky. Glacky. And, uh, S.C. Burke's ID Cancer. <laughs> ID Cancer. Yes. 
Which also, is about the, the stars, the sign, possibly the disease. A little of both, a little of nothing. It's, uh, it's published by uh, Nihilism Revisited, so it's Ooh. a whole bunch of nothing and everything all at once. Oh, exciting. Yes. And what shall we be learning about? We'll be learning about Lackey. <laughs> no, I mean... A deity <laughs> by Ramsey Campbell. Oh. Yes. Exciting. Correct. I do enjoy the works of Ramsey Campbell. All right. Well, join us next time for People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos and learn about some sort of inhabitant of the lake. Mm. Goodbye. Goodbye, dear listeners. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is brought to you by Round Item Clothing and BunnySlippers.com. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is hosted by Dewey Splitzer and L.W. Splitzer. Dewey Splitzer is played by Daniel Splitzer, while L.W. Splitzer is played by Sarah Fay. It is written and produced by Daniel Splitzer and additional vocals by Sarah Fee. Thank you for listening and remember to support us by going to our Amazon link or donating a buck or five to PayPal. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos loves you and is part of the Dark Myth Collective. Goodbye. Additionally, I would like to add stay squiggly and keep it weird. All right. Okay, all right. <clears throat> like the Necro like the Necronomicon, it was later mentioned in several stories by H.P. Lovecraft. Ever heard of him? According to Robert Ever M. Price. Hear Ever hear of the guy? Yeah. Okay. Want me to read it again? Go for it. <laughs> As the nameless cults. Like the Necronomicon, it was later mentioned in several stories by H.P. Lovecraft. Ever heard of the guy? Ever hear of the guy? Ever hear of the guy? Just, just hear say, of... ever hear of the guy, and I'll just cut it I'm in. I'm going to put it in there.